Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by the man himself, John Paulson. And Paulson, we are post-draft. How is everything going for you? It's going pretty well. I'm in the at the start of my projections process, so uh, getting the ball rolling on the 2023 projections and uh, interested to talk some rookies with you today. And there is a lot to talk about, so I want to jump right into it at the top of the show. But before we begin, a quick reminder, our player profiles, my draft grades, your rookie fallouts for fantasy for free on the site for everyone, 44.com right now. Also, you and I have a permanent schedule now for everyone. We will be back every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern if anyone is inclined to join us at that time. We'll also be waiting in the most accurate podcast feed, but if you want to jump in and join us live on YouTube, then feel free to do it. And that's because we also have now a YouTube membership plan for everyone here at 4 for 4. And by becoming a member, you can get loyalty badges. You can get exclusive emojis, including one of my bald head. If you want to copy and paste that around to your friends for whatever the hell reason you'd like to do. Uh, priority reply to your comments. If you have questions, we will certainly get to them if you are a member. And then, of course, promo codes if you want to wear the 4 for 4 gear around, which I do all the time. I have this shirt on right now. Not only because I'm obviously accompanying him, because also it's just very comfortable. And I support any dry fit or very good t-shirt material anytime a company sends it to me. So all of that for less than $2 per month if you want to check that out. So let's jump into it, Paulson. And I want to begin with the Falcons, who from a team building standpoint failed in adding a, another running back, a first round running back in particular, after getting a thousand yards from a fifth round rookie, no capital there basically. And then of course, Cordero Patterson, a 32 year old veteran on a one year deal led next gen stats rushing yards over expected percentage, literally gaining more than average of the typical NFL running back in every identical situation, 50% of the time. He was super efficient. And then, of course, they add Bijan Degod at number eight overall. So your thoughts and where you have Bijan Robinson ranked moving forward for redraft purposes. Well, I, everything I everything I say today is don't hold me to it because the, the, the 2023 projections are not yet released, but he certainly feels like a top 10, top eight type back uh, in this offense. I, I don't think that Tyler Algier will have much of a a role. Uh, Cordell Patterson probably will take a, a major back seat this year. He's getting older, but as you mentioned, he was pretty efficient last year. Uh, maybe not no, the, not the right NFL decision to to draft him, but it's a good landing spot uh, for Robinson, and he should be a bell cow. You don't use this type of um, capital on a on a running back and not use him. I think there's a stat last uh, six. And since 2010, there's been six running backs drafted in the top 10. Those those players averaged 296 uh, touches uh, in their rookie season. So I think you're going to see Robinson with a big workload in year one, and the rest of these guys are just going to take a back seat. Robinson, of course, the current 101 in both one quarterback and super flex dynasty leagues. And I know you may look on the surface at his reception total in Texas, but just remember – this guy can still very much be one of, if not the biggest factor in the passing game among running backs for the Falcons too. Not only the fourth most yards per target, 10.4, of any player 
not just running backs. 10.4 yards per target is the fourth most of any player in this class. Also the fifth most red zone target since 2021 in the FBS among running backs at his position. Absolutely insane what this guy can do. So yes, be excited for Bijan in those dynasty drafts and redraft situations. The Panthers also addressed a dire need in adding Bryce Young and Jonathan Mingo. So now that we have Young locked into this offense, that not only entails Mingo, but also Adam Thielen, Miles Sanders, Hayden Hurst, DJ Chark. What are your thoughts on Young's situation in redrafts? It's not too bad. I mean, they they added Mingo. He's uh, an interesting dude. He's not your typical looking running uh, wide receiver. He looks more like a running back. Four 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 six speed, um, two hundred twenty six pounds. So he's built like a like a bigger uh, Debo Samuel. So this is a a good uh, outlet for uh, Bryce Young. And now this uh, receiving core is kind of coming together. They ha- do have a little bit of talent. Uh, DJ Shark, I was a little more excited about him than Adam Thielen. Terrace Marshall, uh, you know, took a step forward last year. It wasn't a huge step forward, but he had a very, very, very disappointing rookie season. Uh, did a little bit better last year. Uh, and then LaVisca Chenault, um, you know, has his uh, fans in the fantasy industry, you could say. And maybe they get something out of him. So it's a, you know, it's not one of the best receiving cores, you know, by a long shot, but it's certainly getting closer to... Uh, you know, middling, uh, mediocre set of weapons for for him, and that's not too bad uh, as a rookie to have that sort of uh, uh, receiving core. So Mingo, I, I did put in as one of these uh, three players outside the first round that's likely to make a, an immediate fantasy impact because I think he does have a chance to end up with uh, the most targets in that offense if things go really well for him this summer. Our own Justin Edwards is running a Superflex rookie draft three rounds behind the scene right now. And we'll be covering that for everyone at 44.com. I believe it will be free for everyone to read too. And I only say that because Mingo was available when I was on the clock at 207 in that draft. And I could not have been more excited, especially in a rookie startup like that. Because... Yes, he did not have the production in college. Never reached 900 receiving yards across four collegiate years. Averaged 3.2 receptions per game in that span. But they took a chance on him because of his athleticism and early round capital. Not only the first wide receiver to be drafted on day two this year, but also a 4.4640. Wrap your head around this, Paulson. 4.46 at 220 pounds. Absolutely insane. And the way Frank Reich talked about him in his post-combine presser, I do want to be a little bit tepid with my expectations because Reich also mentioned Shark will run every single route the moment he's there. That got us excited. He said practically the same thing about Mingo, that they're going to use him all over, particularly underneath. But that kind of speed, that kind of strength, and recording the Power Five's sixth most receiving yards after contact for his career, like that tells you that if he is used underneath, he has all these traits you want to target, especially for the target in that safety valve area of the number one overall pick. So I do get excited about Mingo as a mid-second round selection and rookie drafts. The biggest fallout, though, the one that got everyone talking was the Lions. Number six overall, their guy, Devin Witherspoon, who I'm convinced, like a fantasy manager when they get sniped and then are suddenly doing extra work because they did not prepare for option B, I believe they wanted Devin Witherspoon, the Lions, and once he wasn't there because the Seahawks pulled the rug out from everyone, they were left scrambling and then made the right move and trading back 
and getting the number 12, number 18, and picking up another day two pick. But then added Jameer Gibbs, the second running back off the board at number 12 overall behind Bijan Robinson. So your thoughts on Jameer Gibbs now with David Montgomery, because post DeAndre Swift trade, and I'll ask you about that in a second, this Lions offense now has the most available carries missing from last year, the most running back touches missing from last year, and then most important of all, literally 100% of their carries from inside the five-yard line up for grabs from last year. Yeah, this was uh, quite the the buzz on draft. And I remember shaking my head at that pick uh, based on the personnel that they had. And we we kind of signaled, uh, thought that that signaled DeAndre Swift would be moving on and it happened pretty quickly. The Eagles uh, plucked him away for, what was it, a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick? Fifth round pick and because they're the Eagles at Howie Roseman, if Swift leaves this year, they get a compensatory pick next year. So they basically oh, okay. lose nothing. Yeah, very smart. So uh, good for the Eagles, uh, good for Swift to get a new a fresh start in Philly. But you asked about the the Lions, and I think, you know, if they're going to use this type of capital on Gibbs, they did give David Montgomery a pretty sizable role, So I think, or a sizable contract. So I think he'll have a big role. Uh, he could be the Jamal Williams uh, in this offense this year, and that could lead to a lot of touchdowns for him. Um, but Gibbs, I think what they wanted to do with Swift is give him, you know, 12 to 15 touches, four or five catches uh, as part of that. But Swift just couldn't stay healthy enough to, to stay on the field last year. And they just sort of gave up on him because I, I don't think that the talent differential here between Gibbs and Swift is, is worth all of what they, they, uh, did to, to make this upgrade, uh, in their minds. So, I do think uh, PPR formats, Gibbs will be heavily used as a receiver, so he'll have a lot of value there. Um, I, I don't see him getting more touches than Montgomery, though. I don't know how you feel about it, but it seems to me like this is going to be a 1A, 1B, uh, but Gibbs will have plenty of value uh, in PPR, half PPR formats. I do not see him out-touching Montgomery overall, but also I don't want to think Montgomery's this major roadblock for a running back with number 12 overall capital, especially in May when we're drafting in these large field tournaments on FFPC and underdog. So I'm still taking a chance. And underdog, as we know, is half PPR. On FFPC, where it's full PPR, that's where you target Jameer Gibbs as a cheat code, basically. Because all it takes is one thing to happen, and then suddenly you have someone will probably consider to be a top three, top four running back easily uh, suddenly for the Lions. So that's how I'm targeting it right now. I know you're still doing projections, but honestly, I'd be shocked if anyone other than Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler are projected with more receptions at running back whenever you get done in the cave. For DeAndre Swift, though, in Philadelphia, what are your early thoughts on Rashad Penny, Swift being out of this mix? And then, of course, it's odd because Kenneth Gainwell was their receiving back. I would imagine he takes a little bit of a back seat now. Yeah, I just pulled up uh, underdog uh, ADP just to see where guys are going. Bijan's going RB2. Uh, Gibbs is going RB15. So I just thought that was interesting data to add. Uh, this is, is going to be a little bit tricky to project this Philly backfield because both of these guys have had a lot of injury issues. So I have to figure out how many games I can expect each of them to play. Uh, and then on top of it, you have Gainwell, who's – pretty good in his role and they're not going to just go away from him and uh, Boston Scott who traditionally you know vultures a few carries here and there so 
Um, Penny has been excellent when uh, he's been available, uh, but he has not been available, you know, consistently. And I would say Swift is, you could probably say the same thing about Swift. He's been maybe a little bit more healthy than uh, Penny, but uh, they're both, they both have their issues. So I think uh, these are players that when they are uh, healthy and active, you're probably going to be able to start both. However, this is, the, the Eagles are tricky because Jalen Hurts vultures so many rushing touchdowns. So um, you just, they don't, they haven't used the the running backs as pass catchers. And when they do, it's typically Gainwell so far. Sanders did a little bit, but not very much. Um, so you're kind of looking at these two potentially splitting carries and just a handful of, cut, uh, of, of uh, catches. So they're going to be, you know, RB2 flex types, I think, uh, when both are healthy. But if one's out, then I think you know the other one will graduate to starter. I know you have been aching to talk about what the Packers did in the draft because, of course, they didn't add a first-round wide receiver, and you have yet to do so since 2002 and Javon Walker. But they came away from day two with Jaden Reed at wide receiver and two tight ends and Luke Musgrave, a freak who just wasn't healthy, honestly, in college, and Tucker Craft to Greg Cassell, comped to Dallas Goddard. And yes, they have the low-hanging fruit connection of being both being Jackrabbits and F- FCS, but nonetheless, Tucker Craft is still successful as a 20-year-old in college. But for Reed and Christian Watson, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this fallout for Jordan Love because someone who I trust in the industry, Alex Dunlap at Ruster Watch, he actually compared Reed to Antonio Brown. I've been at the top. I've been at 201 in a few dynasty drafts, rookie drafts, and they're exciting this year because it's all subjective. Like, never are these rankings at the end of first round and the second round intact. They are subjective for every single person in these drafts. And I think Reed is a, is an early second round pick, if not into first round, given his opportunity in this target tree. But your thoughts on the Packers offense now? Yeah, I wrote up uh, all the first round picks and uh, and then because uh, they're going to most of them are going to have be able to play right away and make a fascinating impact, even though they may not. These receivers didn't land in great spots. The four first round receivers, uh, Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison. None of them jump out to me as surefire wide receiver twos on their own team or surefire number two in terms of targets. You could make the case that Addison will be the number two receiver, but he may be behind and probably be behind Hawkinson and Justin Jefferson and targets. So when, when I was writing up the fantasy impact players outside drafted outside the first round, you know, Jaden Reed really jumped out as a player that has a lot of potential given the situation, the receiver room and with green Bay. I mean, Christian Watson had some great moments last year and looks like he's going to be the breakout wide receiver one for the Packers. Uh, but after that, you know, Robinho Dobbs was probably the second best receiver last year. Uh, I mean, obviously, Alan Lazard has, has moved on. So we were penciling in Dobbs as the wide receiver, too. But I think uh, you, you certainly could argue that Reed is a, a better receiver right now than, than Dobbs. So we'll see how that pecking order sort of shakes out, who they're playing in two receiver sets. And if Jaden Reed can hit the ground running this summer, he could be the number two option in this offense really quickly because there isn't a lot of you know it's great that they use ca- draft capital on tight ends but rookie tight ends don't typically have a big impact uh, in terms of targets so i think that the, the number two role in the offense is is up for grabs and that that could lead to a pretty big season for Jaden reed if jordan love is the real deal so if he's if he doesn't fall flat on his face and there's you know 3800 
passing yards and 20 something touchdowns up for grabs, then Reed could have a very good year. Their divisional foe, the Vikings, had many needs to address, in particular on defense, but still came away with USC product Jordan Addison. Across from Justin Jefferson now, after the team lost Adam Thielen to Carolina. So your early thoughts on Addison and where you have Justin Jefferson ranked, to me, he is still number one overall. He is still the number one wide receiver. You think that his career cannot get any better after last season's Offensive Player of the Year award, but remember, Jefferson caught three of 18 end zone targets last year. There is much more meat on this bone, and it's going to be exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think Jefferson's a really safe pick. Wide receiver one overall uh, in all likelihood when rankings get released. I think that's what Barry was at for the never too early rankings. Uh, really safe pick because of his rapport with uh, Kirk Cousins, and Cousins is back. And um, I do think that TJ Hawkinson is the number two option. He had nine point four targets per game, 85 targets in nine games after the trade. Uh, so he's my number three tight end, uh, fantasy-wise, at least in the in the never too early rankings. Uh, so then I think uh, you know Addison kind of will replace that Thielen role, and Thielen saw about a hundred targets last year, and I think that's possible for for Addison. You know, I think we talked about KJ Osborne on a, during the draft and how I was uh, high on him until this Addison pick, you know, as, as a potential breakout. Uh, but he's probably going to be the the third receiver, fourth option in the offense, and uh, Addison likely in that number two role. And you know, with 100 targets, you can get there fantasy wise. You know, especially if it's uh, PPR, uh, you, you can get there. But it's not the type of uh, breakout. You know, just looking at these four receivers drafted in the first round, I don't see a breakout star uh, in in year one, given the, the where they landed. Each of them are, are landing in the number two or three spots in their offenses. You mentioned Addison taking on Adam Thielen's role, and that's where I get a little excited when you mention that because, remember, Addison was the nation's 2021 Bolitnikoff winner for being the best receiver in college. In that year, under Pittsburgh, because that's when he was a slot receiver. Uh, he ran 69% of his routes from the slot that year and had 1,500 yards and 17 touchdowns, whereas then he transferred to USC under Lincoln Riley and ran only 19% of his routes from the slot, became a boundary receiver for whatever reason. So if we think that Addison will land in the slot in place of Thielen, that is even better for his fantasy outlook moving forward. For the Saints, though, it's a small one, yes, and adding Kendry Miller, who I do like, who I was drafting in the last couple of rounds in every big board draft, given that Miller didn't test due to his late injury in the year for TCU. So we thought, given his production and averaging 6.7 yards per carry for his career in college, also he averaged a touchdown for every 13 carries for that 2022 championship game appearing TCU offense. We thought, okay, at 5'11", 215, he's still going to get lost in the shuffle here, given that he didn't participate in the combine for injury. But Miller adds a log jam here between Jamal Williams and Alvin Kamara, who were still waiting on his suspension news. So your early thoughts on the Saints' backfield. Yeah, I mean, I think Miller will have value as long as Kamara is out. But if Kamara is available, then he and Jamal Williams will carry the load in this backfield. I don't think there'll be room for a third fantasy uh, viable running back. But, I mean, that doesn't mean that he won't have his weeks if – especially if Kamara is suspended for six or eight games, then they'll need him. 
uh, and they'll and then Jamal Williams will also get an up uh, you know uptick in his touches. So uh, I just think that you're looking at the season as a whole. Uh, what what are they going to do when everybody's healthy? And I don't think that there's many weekly touches for him to, from the get go. But again, one or, if one or both of those guys are out, then he's got some upside. The Giants also added a log jam to their receivers room because Jalen Hyatt, who had first round grades, did fall to the third round. And it's interesting, Paulson, because we know the Giants basically only signed slot receivers this offseason. And now here comes Hyatt, who had an 89% career slot rate with Tennessee. Also, I don't know if you're aware, but Hyatt was basically no one. Like he totaled 500 yards and four touchdowns, totaled through his first two seasons with the Volunteers. And then only when Cedric Tillman, the number 74 overall pick in this draft to the Browns, we'll get to him in a bit, only when Tillman got injured last year did Hyatt then break out as last year's Blitnikoff Award winner with 1,200 yards and 15 touchdowns. Just an explosive boundary guy. At least that's what he's saying he is at the next level because he's now also playing at 188, 190, which comps him to Will Fuller at six foot, honestly, if he can maintain that 4-4-40 speed. So what are you doing with this Giants wide receivers room now? And does this really, is it a long-winded way of saying draft Darren Waller? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the death chart, and it's they're all it's the same com- guy. It's all it's kind of comical now. Uh, I mean, the guy I was most excited about heading into this year, I you know, it, he wasn't even. It was funny because I was reading the, uh, I think the ESPN blurb about Jalen Hyatt, and they were talking about the fantasy implications, and then even mentioned Isaiah Hodgins, but he was the one that had the best stretch uh, run last year, along with you know Darius Slayton had some good games as well. It was kind of those two with everybody else basically injured. Um, and then the, and then the guy that went to KC, Richie, Richie James. So uh, who they're replacing with nine different guys. Uh, Paris Campbell's got a lot of speed. Uh, Sterling Shepard is a, is a quality route runner. Uh, but is he going to be healthy for the start of the season? Same question for Wandale Robinson, who sh- flashed a little bit last year prior to his injury. For some reason, they added Jamison Crowder. Uh, as well so this is a really a I could see a, a lot of these guys rotating through the rankings as we get these little nibbits uh, tidbits of information uh about who's playing well in in camp because we don't know exactly who's even going to make the the roster uh based on all the all the same type of players they have same prototype of players so uh Darren Waller certainly if healthy is the safest bet um I think Slayton's uh, skill set probably sets him apart from a lot of these other guys. Uh, Hyatt's interesting, although he didn't grade real well as a route runner over at Reception Perception. Matt Harmon wasn't real keen on his uh, how, how NFL ready he is uh, as a route runner. So, uh, so when I look at trying to project these these rookies that way, and I and I see that Harmon is down on them, it's tough for me to really rank him very high because the, the guys that come in and really tear it up tend to the Chris Olaves, the Garrett Wilsons. They tend to be really good route runners coming out of college, and I don't think Hyatt falls into that category. So all that said, we've got kind of a log jam, and I think Hodgins and Slayton probably start with Paris Campbell if if Shepard and Robinson are still sidelined, and then Hyatt's trying to to get snaps uh, you know, over one of those guys. Speaking of wide receivers, universally the number one on the board went to the Seahawks, who 
I did give an A in my draft grades for free on the site for everyone, both AFC and NFC parsed in two separate columns. But Jackson Smith and Jigba lands with Seattle at number 20 overall. And yes, we haven't seen Jigba play for basically a year since he only played 60 snaps with an injury in 2022. But last we saw in 2021, literally four yards per route run next to Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're pretty good. So now we have Njigba being added to this offense around DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, your fallout for the rookie and the veterans around him. Yeah, he he was a, an exciting player heading into this draft. I was hoping the Packers might uh, nab him in the first round, but they don't take, as you mentioned, receivers in the first round. Uh, he, I believe I broke it out to, you know, when he played with Garrett Wilson um, and Chris Olave, uh, the games where all three of them played, he still, I mean, he had the huge year, but those other two guys missed some games. So he ended up with a lot, tons and tons of yards in those games that they missed. But even when all three were healthy, I believe he outgained them or at least matched them in, in yardage. They were all about 900 something. I tweeted about it a while ago. So it did, it did indicate that he is on that level and it really, a really safe pick. Um, so heading into Seattle, this isn't a great landing spot for him. We talked about it on draft night uh, with Tyler Lockett and um, DK Metcalf there. Uh, it's a decent landing spot from a quarterback standpoint. Geno Smith was was pretty good last year. Uh, from a fantasy standpoint, I don't know that he's going to have any kind of breakout year. I might draft. I might have him ranked in the you know 40s or 50s just on talent. But how many targets is he going to see? Uh, alongside Lockett and and uh, DK Metcalf because the the guys that they had uh, last year combined for let me see here uh, Mark, Marquise Goodwin, Dwayne Eskridge, Laquan Treadwell the, the the next three guys after Lockett and Metcalf combined for a total of sixty five targets. So what sort of role are they going to carve out for him? Is and is it gonna how much is it gonna negatively impact Metcalf and or Lockett? And I know some people are in a hurry to bury Tyler Lockett, as they are every year. But remember, over the last two seasons, two seasons, Tyler Lockett has 12 top five finishes among wide receivers to DK Metcalf's four. This is why perennially, universally, annually, Lockett is actually the better selection for best ball leagues because he arguably has a higher ceiling and always goes two to four rounds later because of Metcalf's salivating size and profile. I forgot to mention Zach Charbonnet, and that's really important, actually, because I don't know if you know, Paulson, but Charbonnet is a super prospect. Like, this dude was not only Jim Harbaugh's number one recruit on offense in 2019, he also led Michigan in a Power 5 conference, right? He led Michigan in rushing as a true freshman. This dude's good. But then when he was thrown into a timeshare inexplicably, because that's what coaches do in 2020, he entered the transfer portal and left to play under Chip Kelly his last two years as a workhorse, 136 rushing yards per game and more catches per game than Jameer Gibbs, who we've already touted highly. So we should be excited about Charbonnet in a second round being added to the Seahawks offense. The issue, of course, is that Ken Walker, also drafted in the second round, was added last year. So your thoughts on this early timeshare. Pete Carroll has already mentioned Charbonnet being added in the passing game and the receiving game. And I believe that given that Walker was a dud last year in that aspect, but your thoughts. Yeah, this is, I mean, maybe you could comment on that. Oh, by the way, congratulations on your mock draft 
victory. I wanted to mention that. Uh, uh, the hill has been over, climbed, finally. Over at uh, the Herc 2023 Herc score champion, our very own John Daigle, by the way, just calling everything left and right, that crazy night uh, of the draft on, on Thursday night. Uh, Thank you. This is... Oh, this was a weird pick. You maybe you could comment on the real world. You know, real, uh, the, the the poor use of draft capital in you know in the real world NFL. But they love to run the ball. They've they've loved to run the ball there for years. Um, and you know, Walker, his ADP has taken a hit. I see that he's going already going RB thirteen. I believe he was top ten prior to this draft pick. So I think people are worried about it, and they probably should be. Basically, what it does is it takes him off the field. If he were ever to get any third down snaps or receptions, probably takes him out of that role completely. And he's probably going to lose some of his uh, early round stuff as well. Um, maybe you just see, you know, I think in the years past, they've used two or three, sometimes three backs uh, on a weekly basis. But I think we probably just get down to either Walker or Charbonnet uh, on the field if both are healthy. Uh, I just don't think Walker's ceiling is as high now given uh, Charbonnet's presence. And I don't know that, I mean, I think Charbonnet as a receiver can get there in PPR formats, but you know, is he going to see 10, 12 touches? You know, that's not enough to be a fantasy starter, but he might be a, a flex play. And uh, one of these guys that could really explode if Walker were to get injured. I used walk. I used 25 carries as a qualifier. So think about that. Think about how many running backs, how easy it is over 17 game season to reach 25 carries and Ken Walker is 10th in stuff rate, which means he gets tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. Walker was literally bottom 10 overall. That's how bad he was. That's how hit or miss I should say he was because he is a home run hitter, but if not, he's basically providing nothing in the running game. And so just that aspect and Charbonnet already being confirmed to mix in in the receiving game, that tells you that Charbonnet can probably earn more of a role which is why I do think he should be in that 112 mix, 201 mix in rookie drafts. And for best ball, certainly added because we think this offense is going to be really amazing, honestly, with finally that third option with JSN and the passing game as well. So let me, let me ask you this. Do you think that Charbonnet is a better prospect than Walker? Like three-year time span? Yeah. I do. He, uh, all, all around, yes. Uh, their strengths probably vary, but I do think Charbonnet is a, the better all-around player, yes. Do you think it's possible that he wins the job outright? Considering they still mixed in, and it was only sprinkling, but they mixed in DJ Dallas, uh, Travis Homer at times Homer, for, yeah. some, for some big reception roles. I don't think there really is such thing outside of three, four guys as a three-down running back anymore, but... I think Charbonnet, like spot starts, will be a top five player for us in our rankings. And that's really all that matters to me. And best ball and dynasty, certainly. Yeah, he's going like RB31, I think. Yep. And uh, over at uh, Underdog. So good upside there. Moving on to the AFC, the Ravens continue to emphasize this offense around their offseason. Not only finally bringing Lamar Jackson back for that $250 million contract, but also emphasizing Todd Munkin's pro-ready offense after he left Georgia for Baltimore this offseason and add Zay Flowers in the first round to go along with Odell Beckham, Nelson Aguilar, who forget was signed there as well, and not to mention Rashad Bateman, who, yes, we've lost a little bit of sight given his injuries the last two years, but is certainly still there. So Zay Flowers for you in this mix. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is tough to get excited oh. about 
yeah, tough to get excited about this one too with uh, with Baltimore. They, they tend to be run heavy with Lamar Jackson, although they do have, I believe, a new OC this year who might change things up and maybe get him back to his high efficiency passing ways uh, from a few years ago. You want to see him with the you know the thirty plus touchdowns like he did. Uh, it was a second year starting or whatever it was. But um, how many fantasy receivers can the Ravens support? Uh, you've got uh, Mark Andrews who's going to get his share. We know. Uh, and the Rashad Bateman coming off of the injury, we've, we've added uh, Beckham, as you mentioned, and now we're adding uh, Zay Flowers, who did uh, fare well. Um, I think it fared pretty well. Yeah, he was the third highest ranked uh, rookie receiver over at Reception Perception, so a good route runner. Um, so would be able to take advantage of opportunities. However, how many opportunities will he get as the second or third receiver, probably third or fourth option in the passing game with if you throw Mark Andrews in there. So that's the concern, I think, with the Ravens offense is how much more uh, pass heavy can they go and will that uh, support, uh, you know, three or four uh, fantasy receivers. The Bills. Oh, actually, before moving on to the Bills, I do want to mention the Ravens didn't draft a running back at all. So here is J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards still sitting here in whatever timeshare we basically had them projected before. So any thoughts on J.K. Dobbins since he's the one getting hammered in Best Ball Mania 4 right now? Uh, yeah, I would say that's pretty good news for both of them that uh, they didn't go running back. I know Latavius Murray got signed by the Bills, I think, so that takes him off the table, the, the annual uh, Latavius Murray signing. Uh, but maybe he'll be available later in the season. But, uh, yeah, I think Dobbins now a year removed from the – from the knee injuries is is going to be a little bit more uh, appealing. If Edwards is also, he's also a year removed from his knee injury, he's been really effective runner for them and has been a thorn in the side of Dobbins whenever he's been healthy. So uh, you're, this it's a similar timeshare and they don't either one of them catch passes. They just don't use the running backs or haven't used the running backs in the passing game in Baltimore. So it's tough to get too excited about either one of them, but they'll, you know, I think Dobbins, you know, proved last year he's a, he could rush for 600 or 60 to 100 yards in a game and, and probably have a touchdown if the, if the Baltimore offense is, is rolling. Uh, but he's just not going to do much in the passing game. We spent the last two months figuring out Buffalo's slot receiver, only to see them in the first round leap the Cowboys at number 26. And the Bills move from 27 to 25 overall to grab Dalton Kincaid. And that's important because that tells you that one, although I do have it on good authority, it was not Dalton Kincaid, the pick at number 26. Uh, they thought the Cowboys could take Kincaid. And that also tells you they have a plan and place for him and covered him that highly after he led this year's class at tight end with two and a half yards per route run last year and has been deployed on 55% of his career snaps from the slot. So how do you see Kincaid fitting into this offense around Dawson Knox in year one. Yeah. I mean, I would, I guess I would pose that question to you. Do you see them going to a lot of two tight end uh, formations here to get both of these players on the field alongside Diggs and probably Gabe Davis? Because if that's the case, then you can, you can kind of see Knox and Kincaid uh, be maybe not fantasy starters, but at least be in the streaming conversation and maybe, have, you know, poke their head up every other week with a touchdown here and there. And, uh, be able to uh, be fantasy, make a fantasy impact that way. I don't know, feel like either one of them holds top 10 value right now, just given the way that they deployed their tight ends last year, although that things will probably change with Kincaid in full. What do you think? 
I agree. I think Kincaid is also a detriment not only to Knox, but to Khalil Shakur. And also, it continues to emphasize what the Bills are shouting from the rooftops and no one's listening, that they do not want Josh Allen to run as much this year. Uh, not only did McDermott say it pre-combine, Josh Allen mentioned it post-combine was he when he was interviewed. And everyone just thinks, oh, like that tells you that when push comes to shove, Allen will still run, no big deal. But dude, Travis Kelsey talked about this on the Kelsey podcast. Mahomes concertedly no longer runs inside the five-yard line. They don't let him. They took that away from his upside because when he broke his kneecap, that showed them when they barely squeaked into the playoffs that year, that showed them that without Mahomes, they're still just a regular offense. They need that guy. And the Bills now see without Allen, after he dealt with that PCL injury throughout the year in the second half of the season last season, without Allen, the Bills are just a regular offense who don't scare anyone. They need Josh Allen. So Whenever Damian Harris's market opens up as the league leader in rushing touchdowns, I'm going to jump on it. And I also think Kincaid is so important for an offense that recorded the fourth most pass attempts against two eye safeties last year as defenses continue to figure out how to limit them. Kincaid adds that important value underneath in the intermediate level of the field. So, yeah, I do think he has value as a fringe tight end one, and him and Knox cannibalize each other, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you, you if you look at the Baltimore or the Buffalo offense and you assume that they're going to run Allen less, that should mean uh, one of two things or both. Uh, more pass attempts, so that's good for Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, the tight ends, et cetera, or and or more rush attempts by the running backs. And I think you alluded to the the upside now of a Damian Harris. If they stop calling Allen's number as a rusher at the goal line, then those touchdowns will go likely to Harris, possibly to, to James Cook, but more likely to Harris. For the Bengals, Chase Brown was added on day three in the fifth round. I do think he is a terrific value in the early third round of rookie drafts. But really what this tells you as a, as a workhorse even at Illinois, what this tells you is that Joe Mixon is still here. And this roster has Mixon, Chris Evans, Chase Brown now, and Travion Williams. So I think what we're really trying to get at, Paulson, is figuring out what the hell is Mixon's role, and he's he now basically a big winner of draft weekend. Yeah, because Samaj P. Ryan has moved on, uh, and you know, you're looking at Mixon as a three-down back. Uh, the, that was This is the weird, kind of a weird offseason for Mixon, because he's, fantasy-wise, has been, you know, an RB1 now for several years, and it seemed like with with whatever was going on off the field, uh, he got into some trouble. I don't know whether that all stands. Cincinnati doesn't seem uh, like the type of organization to really part ways with people when they get into trouble. They don't seem to be too worried about the off the field stuff. Uh, so it, it, Mixon's still here. And uh, with P. Ryan moved on, they're going to have to replace him. Uh, they do have some guys that can catch passes that are behind Mixon. I mean, Mixon is not a very good uh, pass blocker. Uh, but he can catch the pass, can catch passes, and they have used him pretty extensively over the last couple of years as a receiver. So I, you know, feel pretty good about him as a low-end uh, RB one at this point, and uh, we'll we'll be keeping our ear to the ground to see if anybody's pushing him for time. But none of these guys have done that in the past, so it's only been Pirine that's you know successfully taken Mixon off the field. And you mentioned Mixon as a low-end RB one, but he is currently going at underdog in the sixth round as the RB24. So if you think you can 
get value on that right now, jump into those best ball mania drafts as we speak. Now, let me ask you, like, what, what is the reason for that at this point? Like, I, I get, I get it at the start, you know, of the off season where maybe it sounds like he might get cut, but P Ryan moves on. He's still on the roster and uh, mix. And then now the draft is come and gone and he's still going RB 24. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Does it? I agree with you. I think it's the same scared tendency with Dalvin Cook, though, and that we continue to hear the rumors, more so, much more so, actually, for Cook, that this team is definitely getting off of him. We just don't know when and to who, if not an outright release. And so I think that's what everyone still fears in Mixon, is that they're just left holding the bag if he's just cut outright. But again, I don't know if this is Hey, I'm say I don't know if this roster lets you cut him out right. Like they didn't pick no. up a free agent; they just added a fifth round running back. And I, I like Chase Brown. And now for dynasty, I think his position's good. But that doesn't mean that Mixon is suddenly like going to go away, and that it's all Chase Brown. That doesn't make sense either. Yeah, is the best is the best free agent out there Leonard Fournette still? Is he the? Yeah, and Jared McKinnon he, re-signed with the Chiefs, which was uh, pretty big news given that yeah. in age 31 he was the RB one overall the last five weeks of the season. Um, Leonard Fournette is probably the biggest name unless you want to say Zeke because Zeke, Zeke for whatever yeah. we think of him will take touchdowns away from somebody yeah I'm interested to see if either one of those guys potentially land in Cincinnati that would that would certainly change things the Browns with that number 42 overall pick they sent to the Jets uh or they sent for Elijah Moore to the Jets basically got both Moore and Cedric Tillman to play in wide receiver three sets we already mentioned Tillman Last year's teammate with Jalen Hyatt got injured three games into the year. Comps as DeAndre Hopkins is a guy who never really added yak per reception, yak after the catch in college, but still 6'3", 200 pounds, uh, a possession guy who just falls but will catch the ball. And so now, Paulson, not only do we think the Browns are going to play more three-wide sets, which jumped last year from 68% with Jacoby Brissett to 76% with Sean Watson, in his last few starts, but also Nick Chubb after a running back did not get added by the Browns in this class. Remember Nick Chubb from three wide sets averaged seven yards per carry in 2022. So a little bit to discuss here, but let's start with Chubb who I think we have. And I agree with you as a top five running back right now. Yeah. And I was really confused by the Chubb uh, ADP for a long part of the spring or whatever late winter that we've been dealing with here, but He's at RB6 now, and that makes a lot more sense. Uh, I, you know, I probably had him at RB3, I think, in the number two early rankings. I, with Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson gone, I don't, I know they like uh, Jerome Ford, uh, but I don't see Chubb coming off the field a whole lot, uh, given this backfield, unless we hear, um, unless, unless we know we hear Ford is just tearing it up and they want to put him in that Kareem Hunt role or something, right? So, uh, Chubb, should be going top five, uh, currently going RB six. And then, you know, the addition of Tillman, the, the, th- the guy that I makes me wonder about is Donovan Peoples Jones, because, you know, he started to show, you know, some flashes with, uh, Deshaun Watson and could benefit from Watson's arm. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see like where he, Elijah Moore and Tillman, the pecking order there. Cause we know Amari Cooper is the number one receiver, but where, how many snaps do these other guys get? Uh, and then who's, who are the three that are out there in three receiver sets? I don't know that Tillman is necessarily, you could pencil him in, you know, over more and people's Jones. I think he's right now, I got him at wide receiver four on that depth chart. 
What are you doing with Watson in particular? Because right now in underdog, he's going as the QB9 overall, which means everyone's assuming he's good at professional football again. Uh, I'm not <laughs> writing him off as a whole, but remember last year with six yards per attempt, less than that, um, it was bad. It was terrible. So just how are you, like, where are you falling and taking a chance on Watson right now? So this is one of those where, you know, you're, he had it last, you know, he, had, he got thrown into the fire in the middle of last year. I'm not making excuses for this guy. He did this all to himself, but, uh, as a player, I think it would be tough to just start your season in the middle of the season after taking the complete year off the previous year. And I'm sure timing is off and he's got to get all that back. And I, you know, I don't think he suddenly forgot how to throw the football. I'm not like thinking, oh, he's going to be top five. Like I sort of thought he would come back in and have a really strong finish to the to the year last year, but it just didn't happen. So I, I you know, he's he's going ahead of Dak Prescott, which I would not, I don't understand that. Um, he's going ahead of Tua, which I understand because of Tua's health issues. Uh, I mean, then you, and then you get into the Daniel Jones, uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, Aaron Jones or uh, Aaron Rodgers tier of you know kind of. You know, Jones is intriguing. Uh, I think I probably would take him over Watson, um, but I would have I would have Watson a few spots lower than this, just just due to what we saw last year. And I also also would have Geno Smith a lot higher. He's at QB sixteen. I don't know why he's going so late. So um, I don't think I would have Watson in my top twelve right now, based on what we saw last year. He does have a pretty good set of weapons. I think things could work out for him, uh, just not super optimistic after last year. I do think that there is a chance, though, that he's not completely washed or anything like that. For the Broncos, getting back to the AFC, adding Marvin Mims at wide receiver, which probably was reactionary, honestly, given that they tried to trade Cortland Sutton to no avail. They last second picked up Jerry Judy's fifth-year option because they had no other players and wanted to make sure they padded for Tim Patrick's return from last year's torn ACL. Nonetheless, Mims of Explosive, 19 and a half yards per catch for his career. 19 of his 20 career touchdowns came from targets 20 yards downfield. Basically just a walking explosive play ready to happen from the boundary. And I know it didn't look good last year. or I'm sorry, it didn't look good previously under Lincoln Riley. But remember, we already mentioned USC coach Lincoln Riley misused Jordan freaking Addison in this final year. So, as much as Riley is an offensive guru, still absolutely prone to rotational roles and just errors at time. No big deal. Mems of explosive is my point, Paulson. So your thoughts on the Broncos receivers, knowing that the first pick of the entire Peyton era was someone to throw into this mix. Yeah, this was an interesting one. And you look at this, this is another guy, talented guy who's who's landing uh, on a depth chart that already has two, the top two spots pretty locked up. Tim Patrick is actually a pretty good receiver, number three receiver, although you, I would think Mims would uh, be able to win that, win that role with Patrick kind of coming back from injury. So uh, as you mentioned, deep threat, but he also uh, did really well on uh, slants. So that's another aspect of his game that he's pretty good at. Um, Matt Harmon compared him to T.Y. Hilton and John Brown. So those are pretty, and I know how much Harmon likes those players. So those are pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good comparison for him. Uh, I think the question is, what sort of target volume will he see when Judy and Sutton are both healthy? Now, he's a player that, and I, I do like doing this sometimes, if you, could, if you can pick a third receiver 
you have uh, injury attrition upside with two different players. Cause if Judy goes down, which he's had some injury issues, Sutton's had some injury issues. Now all of a sudden you have Mims potentially in a starting role and you're getting that upside out of him. That's not a bad, a bad play. Um, I just, I just, if all three are healthy, I don't know, you know, how much target volume he's going to get and uh, giving that he's mostly a deep threat. It's probably going to be very spotty. I think that's worthwhile in best ball. And as I mentioned, if Judy or Cortland Sutton get traded or there's an injury, he could see quite a bit of upside there uh, in the later rounds. The Texans finally have a vision, a direction with CJ Stroud going number two overall. Where they really flunked and messed this draft up was trading back up into a draft that everyone considered one of the most poor in talent in the last decade trading number 12 pick they had number 34 overall and then a first and second next year giving that to Arizona who's gonna have I would guess two of the top three picks of the 2024 draft as they reset and become a juggernaut as early as 2024 but trading back up for number three for fantasy though number two CJ Stroud a grade that pick alone amazing your thoughts now on CJ Stroud and this jumble of wide receivers who they have prioritized to run block or be role players as 5'8", 160 pound Tank Dell arrives as well. Yeah, he's a good route runner, Tank Dell, uh, Nathaniel Tank Dell. Uh, So he's got, you know, he he could be, he has a role that he could play. I don't, you know, he's not going to turn into fantasy wide receiver one or anything like that. Uh, But, you know, Nico Collins probably has, is the safest player in this receiving core Robert Woods uh is known you know he he's more known for his run blocking at this point didn't have a very good year last year in Tennessee he was he was great with the with the Rams but that seems like ages ago uh Nora Brown John Mechie coming back from injury um Steven Sims uh Amari Rogers these are the these are the top listen six to or these seven guys players. You're yeah um so what, what I'm what I'm underlining and the one guy that is is good at his position is Dalton Schultz. So that's good. That's good for CJ Stroud. What I'm, what I'm getting at is that this is not going to be a great passing attack. Uh, most of the target, I think Schultz will probably lead the team in targets. Um, and then it's just going to be spread out amongst these other guys. And I don't think that the, I don't think that Stroud or this passing game will support more than one fantasy starter, possibly two. Um, but I'm not confident about that. I don't think that tank Dell is that guy. He might, he might be a four for 40, type guy, um, you know, four catches for 40 yards and, you know, be able to maybe put up eight, 10 points in a, in a PPR formats on a weekly basis or a semi-weekly basis. But I think Nico Collins is probably your best bet uh, of this receiver group. Uh, but I'm not super count. I mean, I'll, he'll probably be ranked as a wide receiver for uh, just, just given the nature of this uh, passing attack. And for rookie drafts, super flex in particular, I do have CJ Stroud one spot over Bryce Young if only because Young averaged 1.4 rushing yards per game for his career at Alabama as an elite pocket passer, whereas at least last year, it wasn't much, yes, but Stroud, six carries for 60 yards against Northwestern. I was at that game, actually. And more importantly, against Georgia, college football championship, all the chips are down. You have to do everything to win, 12 carries for 34 yards. I think we got some sneaky rushing upside with Stroud, and so that's why I have him ranked for fantasy over Bryce Young. Someone, though, I have ranked over all of them is none other than Anthony Richardson. And 
I know I told you, Paulson, before the draft, I was very adamant thinking that Richardson, even as a top five pick, potentially landing with the Seahawks whenever we first talked, I thought he at least was going to get reps in practice and whomever the bridge quarterback was in that organization would start at least half a season, Gardner Minshew included, over Richardson. But now I want to take a step back and admit to you I think I was wrong because post-combine presser, Shane Steichen said, and I quote, I think the development of players comes with more experience. I think when you play more, that's how you develop. Practice reps, game reps, I think that's how you develop. And what that tells me, Paulson, is that they're going to let Anthony Richardson fly. And it may not be good, but they're going to let his reps get out of the way. And if we can get a top five season from Justin Fields in fantasy points per game last year with the worst receiving core of the entire NFL and a league low in pass attempts per game, that tells me for this year, redraft, best ball, rookie let drafts, I don't care about Anthony Richardson's passing game. Let it develop. I care about the most athletic quarterback in combine history being allowed to start 17 games. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and uh, just getting back to Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, my my quarterback, rookie quarterback model does have Bryce Young for a couple more yards per game than Stroud, so that would be an mm-hmm. interesting uh, bet. Uh, it's 14.8. close. It's, yeah. I have them literally neck and neck, one spot yeah. away from each other. I just, I just, when you mentioned that, I pulled up my uh, spreadsheet just to see what they, and that uh, that also brings me to Richardson, twenty nine point two rushing yards per game expected. And that actually feels a little bit light. It's interesting looking at some of these other players, Malik Willis, uh, uh, Sam Howell, uh, uh, had projected for more based on what they did in college. You know, some of those guys wrote, uh, rushed for 800 yards. I believe Richardson, 654 yards as a uh, starter last year, uh, nine touchdowns. So he does definitely has that rushing floor. Maybe they run him a little bit more. Uh, you know, looking and design runs like they like they did with Justin Fields in Chicago last year. So certainly if he's going, like I, I left draft night thinking that he was going to sit the first few games based on your take on that. Um, but it, it does, I think the owner, Jeremy Ursay, said something about him. He's going to start, uh, you know, use this type of, type of draft capital, just get him out there. Uh, as long as you can, he's not behind a really, really bad offensive line and is getting shell-shocked. Um, then it's probably better for him to be out there playing as opposed to, to riding the bench. I'm very excited about Richardson, who is my 102 in rookie drafts as the overall QB1. I think one of the bigger elephant in the room offseason conversations is going to be what to do with Travis Etienne. That's why I want to get your thoughts on it, because the Jaguars added Tank Bigsby from Auburn at the end of the third round, so day two capital. And I don't necessarily think he'll be an impact singularly, single-handedly, where we can start him or flex him in redraft leagues this year. But to average 15.5 carries per game in the SEC for his career, uh, lead Auburn also in rushing in every season since 2020, and also have a career 15.4% target share with special teams experience. See, See, he was a punt returner as a freshman. I think that tells you that this dude's not only going to be active every week, but he can do a lot of different things that chip away at ETN's role. After Doug Peterson, remember, pre-combine presser said, we want to get more running backs involved here to keep ETN healthy. So your thoughts on ETN post-draft? Yeah, I think this is, uh, they, they went into the draft with Jermichael Hasty and who I, a player that I believe to be very underrated and that I was interested to see if he perhaps was the RB2 is Dearness Johnson. He does really well on all these high uh, uh, yards after contact, uh, 
number of rushing attempts per uh, broken tackle type um, metrics. Uh, Dearness Johnson does. And whenever he's had the opportunity to be the RB1 or be in a pretty healthy RB2 role for Cleveland has done really well. So he was the player that heading into the draft, I was wondering, oh, he might leapfrog hasty and perhaps be that bigger uh, RB2 type guide behind ETN where they're kind of splitting uh, the touches in the backfield. But now that uh, Bigsby's in the fold, that kind of throws that, makes me wonder about that plan uh, for the Jaguars. I thought that was a sneaky signing to get Johnson. Uh, and now they have Bigsby. So they, they they have, you know, they added Johnson. Now they added Bigsby. It does appear that they want to lighten ETN's load. And the fact that he was seeing so many touches down the stretch last year was the main reason he was such a good fantasy asset. Um, so you're, you're looking at him now as more of a pass catcher, maybe seeing 10 carries plus uh, four or five catches as opposed to, you know, pushing 20 uh, touches per game, uh, given the, the talent behind him now. And where do you have him currently ranked? Because I see in Best Ball Mania, he is going as the RB12 overall, uh, basically the low-end RB1 of the group. I think that's about where I would have him, maybe a little bit lower if he's going to be in a timeshare because, it, you know, th- those top 10 or 12 spots are, you know, it's not quite that many that are in a three-down roll, but, you know, you're, if you get into a pretty healthy timeshare, it's tough to, to crack the top 10. I am excited about the Chiefs' day two wide receiver, Rashi Rice, who not only worked out with Patrick Mahomes in Dallas before the draft at my friend's gym, shout out Apex, but also averaged an FBS high, 113 receiving yards per game over the last two years as the focal point of SMU's offense. And at 6'1", 204, so prototypical, big size we want. Not only that, but... In 2021, a route from 94% of his snaps from the boundary, and it's last year, 83% from the slot. I'm sorry, 2021, 94% from the slot, 83% from the boundary in his final year. That tells you he has the experience all over, and he's not one of these Mickey Mouse receivers like Kadarius Tony or Sky Moore. That's going to make my mentions burn, I know. But I am very excited about Rice in the in the early second of rookie drafts, I think he really can carve out a role here. Your thoughts on the Chiefs receivers? This is going to be an interesting test case, uh, f- especially for uh, Harmon's reception perception relative to this how this uh, receiving room is going to shake out because he was very high on Sky Moore. Sky Moore did not do much at all last year; uh, wasn't able really to get much on the field much. Um, but a good, very good route runner, top three or four in last year's uh, class. Uh, Rasheed Rice, of the 14 guys that Harmon charted, was dead last in his route running uh, success rates. So, but but on the other hand, very productive receiver in the real world. Like so, sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, if the route running is perfect, if he can get it done. He just uh, Harmon commented, and I put it in the article that there's just too much un- unorganized chaos in his game right now. So I'm very interested to see if it's Rice or if it's Sky Moore or if it's whoever it is that emerges as the number two or number three option there because you're you're looking at Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who isn't a, is not a true number one, but we know he's going to be on the field a lot due to his speed and his history of production and what they paid him. Uh, Kadarius Tony, who has upside but is kind of a mess as a route runner as well. Um, and then you got Moore, and then you've got you're adding Rice, and he was a second-round pick, so there's quite a bit of uh, – Draft capital. Let's go, and go ahead. remember, they re-signed Justin Watson after Watson ran significantly more routes than both Tony and Sky Moore at the end of the year. 
and wasn't all that productive in him. He had a no, couple games, not at but all. yeah. So it's it's like who's going to get on the field and who's going to be productive and who's Mahomes going to going to target. So this is really a good test case, I think, when we look at okay, quality of route running, uh, history of college production, uh, et cetera. How, how do these guys vie for for routes uh, with Patrick Mahomes and one of the best passing attacks in the in the league? We know Travis Kelsey is going to bring Travis Kelsey, but this this receiver room is in its depth chart is totally up for grabs, and uh, we could be we could see anybody with the most. Uh, targets in this in this room by the end of the year we don't i mean we wouldn't i wouldn't feel good about betting on anyone in this you know it depends on the odds uh in terms of who's who's gonna see the most targets those tears you heard at 204 were evan silva's from chicago as michael mayer's slide finally ended with the raiders who traded up jumped from 38 to get him and what we know about mayer is one he outsnapped former first-round pick Tommy Tremble, if you recall, under Matt Rule as a 19-year-old freshman in 2020. But also, Mayer does all the right things. He can run block. He's a really a three-down option if they allow him to be. And more importantly, Paulson, in this situation, they don't have a choice but to let him be a three-down option unless Austin Hooper somehow outplays him. So your thoughts on Michael Mayer, who even as a rookie tight end, I think we'll lead these tight ends and catches in year one. This is an interesting group of rookie tight ends. And we, we, we didn't even talk about during the Detroit blur. We didn't talk about Laporta who, who might start uh, for the lions or should we start love for the lions. Sam Laporta. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, 670, 657 yards in his final two years at Iowa, another Iowa product. Um, so just shout out to Laporta. You know, I am so anti-rookie tight ends in general in the rankings because it just—it's very rare that they uh, live up to their ADP. Although their ADP tends to be depressed because they just don't—they don't tend to do much as rookies. Now, there's the occasional uh, exception, and I think Mayer is one of those potential exceptions. I you know, probably will have him ranked uh, in the—I don't know—the 18 to 24 range uh, as a potential TE2. Uh, and be in the streaming conversation. I uh, just wonder, uh, number one, we got Jimmy G at quarterback, so that's changing. Uh, they have Devontae Adams as the clear number one receiver, um, and they added Jacoby Myers, who's another target hog. So how many targets are really available for, for Mayer? Uh, Hunter Renfro's there as well. Uh, so that that's number one. Uh, he does have the talent, I think, to succeed and to be the, you know, Austin Hooper is a pretty solid tight end, but they'll probably want to get Mayer on the field as long as he doesn't fall on his face in, in, in the summer. Uh, if he's a three-down uh, tight end, then uh, he'll certainly have a better chance than if he's rotating with, with Hooper. For the Chargers, they did end up adding Quentin Johnson, a wide receiver overall, at 121 pick, number 21 overall on Thursday. And at 6'3", 208, I know everyone's initial reaction, like Chase Capel and maybe even Kellen Moore and the Chargers thinking this, that this guy will give us that deep threat. But I will tell you, that's not who Quentin Johnson is. And if they use him like that, that's a disaster. Because 102 receivers had 100-plus targets in the Power Five last year, and it was Quentin Johnson who recorded the 11th fewest contested catches, only nine out of all of them. What you really try to do is get him targets underneath because he's averaged a career 7.7 yak per reception he is brandon Ayuk, but big with armor on that's who johnston is and so what is what are you doing with these three wide receivers now locked in place for 2022 between keenan allen 
Mike Williams, and Johnston. Yeah, 6'3", 208, 4.57 speed, uh, good good burst score over at uh, Player Profiler. Uh, biggest comparable is Josh Dotson. I don't know if that's good a good thing, but um, athletically, that's how he compares. This is another one of those first round receivers that is landing in a in a tough spot. Uh, Keenan Allen soaks up targets. Mike Williams soaks up targets. He should be the third receiver there ahead of Palmer. Uh, given the, the draft capital they used on him, uh, there is a chance that he should. I mean, that he could have some good fantasy weeks. I don't know that he's going to be a trustworthy, you know, top a pick in the top nine rounds or ten rounds, uh, given the fact that he's the third going to be the third option. Gerald Everett's still on the roster as well. We kind of thought that he'd be cut or they would move on from him. So there are some tight end targets that. Um, are not up for grabs. We kind of thought they might be up for grabs uh, if if Everett moved on, but he hasn't. Um, so you just kind of see him. Like you just think about what Palmer gave you last year. Uh, you know, if if Keenan Allen is dinged up, Mike Williams is dinged up, and I think that's the one key thing to remember is both of those guys do have a long in- injury history. Then Johnson Johnston will be uh, you know a fantasy starter. Uh, you could draft him with that in mind, but I think starting the season, if all three players are healthy. Uh, you're not going to be able to count on him for for fantasy starter type numbers. The Dolphins went one and two against Buffalo last year by a total margin of four points. Just lost by total four points. That tells you they can compete with Buffalo this year and possibly win this division. Josh Allen still being the X factor, despite this Dolphins roster being amazing. But on draft night, there were two clips on Thursday and Friday for Miami. One was Mike McDaniel sitting there, not reacting at all. That reaction was due to Cam Smith being drafted first. Cam Smith had first-round grades at cornerback, but now we'll get a chance to develop behind Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. Good pick, but it didn't excite McDaniel. The clip pause, and you should be aware of, is McDaniel literally pumping his fist because Devin freaking A-chain from the Texas A&M Aggies was drafted as well at 321 overall. And what he was excited about is that at 188 pounds, being an All-American track athlete in college, Devin A. Chain ran a 4-3-240. And now you mix that with J- Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Raheem Mostert, and even Elijah Higgins, who was a 95th percentile speed athlete, got drafted as a wide receiver, but they're going to move the tight end. All this offense is doing is just adding more speed. And given his size and the fact that he was a workhorse in his final year, had to wait behind Isaiah Spiller until last year. But when Spiller got drafted by the Chargers last season, A-Chain then averaged 19.7 carries and 4.9 targets per game in the SEC. Bell cow volume. And now we add that to the Dolphins offense. So this Dolphins backfield, what the hell are you doing with it? Well, they re-signed Raheem Mostert, who has four four two speed or something. At a, he's much bigger; he's two hundred and something pounds. I think that the one problem with A Chain is that he's one hundred eighty eight pounds and five foot nine, but he's got four three speed. So um, there's certainly a role available for a player like that. I don't think he's going to be the RB one in Miami. They're not going to use him to that extent. I don't think he'd hold up. So I guess the question is, does he take over the Jeff Wilson role? Uh, and then you've got Mostert and A-Chain as the, as the two uh, primary backs. And, you know, A-Chain is more of a kind of a pass catcher and, uh, 
you know, gimmick type guy for lack of a better term, or do you, I mean, I, how do you see this shaking out with Wilson and Mostert back? It, it just seems to me like Wilson is probably the most expendable uh, because Mostert does have that great speed. He's got the long history with uh, Mike McDaniel. I mean, Wilson does too, but it seemed like, it seemed like when both were healthy, Mostert was the RB one. And now they're adding this, this kind of this wild card in this backfield. And it's a good wild card too. That's why I, Continue to want to, in the later rounds, grab a chain above all. Like, yes, Jeff Wilson may still soak up the most opportunities inside the 10-yard line, but a chain just isn't speed. Like he, even at 188, as you mentioned, he's still strength. Like, he forced a missed tackle on 29% of his career carries since 2020, again, against SEC competition. That's huge. So, no, I think this dude is ready, honestly. I consider him a early second, if not 201 overall rookie draft pick. And, yeah, I want a piece of him in this offense. I think he's going to get – gosh, I, I would guess mix in for – I don't want to hyperbolize it – eight – carries eight to 10 carries early on, but can he out end up out carrying every game Wilson and Mostert towards the back half of the year? I think so. Very interesting. And then also we know that Mostert misses some games here and there. So what happens when that, when that happens is it's probably a chain with Wilson, you know, sharing the, I, I think, I think they want to keep guys fresh and rotate guys. So, I mean, that, that makes us a good system for for Miami but it doesn't help us as fantasy uh, managers to try to figure out who's going to who's going to start. The Patriots got terrific value. Traded back twice only to get who was the second highest ranked quarter cornerback on most people's boards. Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon also grabbed Keon White who had some first round grades early in the process in the second round and I think those two players add tremendous value in year one for them. Beyond that, though, you got to start downgrading them for drafting a, a center, Jake Andrews, from Troy in the fourth round. Dame Brugler had a last-round grade on Jake Andrews. Also, spending any amount of capital, let alone a fourth-rounder, and a kicker and a punter, because, of course, they're the Patriots. But more importantly, Paulson, for our purposes, they didn't add a running back. Like, to come away with 12 picks and not have a running back in any of those selections – is wild. And that tells us that Raheem Ramondre Stevenson should be a high valued pick this year. Yeah. And they didn't add a um, receiver until was it the fourth round? I would, I would argue they still didn't add a receiver. Yeah. <laughs> sixth round. Uh, Bootsy, yeah. Bootsy, yeah. And then Demario Douglas in the, in the sixth round as well. So uh, this is going to, this offense is going to be interesting for a few reasons. One, they didn't really have an offensive coordinator last year. Now Bill O'Brien's in, so that should be an upgrade in terms of at least having somebody that understands offense running the offense. Um, but certainly Ramondre Stevenson comes out of this looking good. Uh, they did add James Robinson. Uh, was it via trade or free agency? I can't remember, but he's on the roster now. Uh, and then, of course, at receiver, they uh, added Juju Smith-Schuster losing Jacoby Myers. So... Um, Ramondre looks like, I don't, it's, it's hard to call anybody in the Patriot backfield, a, a bell cow, but this is about as close, you know, to a bell cow as they'll get. Uh, he's a good pass catcher as well. Uh, Robinson will sprinkle in. Uh, I don't think that they'll necessarily use too many other people in this backfield. If both those players are healthy, uh, unless somebody's able to beat out Robinson for the backup role. And then at, 
at receiver just to just to talk about it right now it's like it's very much a shrug emoji trying to figure out other than juju smith schuster who's going to be the number two you know in this receiver room for targets so Devonte parker typically when healthy is a target earner they drafted Tyquan Thornton very early last year. He had uh, a, a good first game and then kind of disappeared. Kendrick Bourne, uh, they don't seem to like him, but he's kind of a gamer. Um, and then they got the two rookies that they they drafted along, but along with a bunch of other dudes. And then they added Mike Kosicki at tight end. So that's just something to remember when you're when you're looking at this. Uh, Johnny Smith's gone. They've got Mike Kosicki and Hunter Henry now at tight end. So a couple decent uh, pass catching tight ends. So um, I think from Stevenson's standpoint, he's, he's top 12, uh, very talented guy, and looks like he's going to see the vast majority of the touches in this backfield. And finally, the Titans. No major splashes, but they at least restored my faith in the league and allowing Will Levis to slide to the second round and then basically get in for free. A pick swap also eating a third rounder. But anytime you can do that for a quarterback who at least had some, albeit few, first round grades, you take that chance. It's okay, despite what I think about Levis as a pro player. And then Tajay Spears in the day two third round as well. But remember, Spears now one ACL reportedly per NFL Network's Ian Rappaport and dealing with knee arthritis. Uh, pro football doc, as he mentioned, not expected to have a long-term career, may do something year one, but not someone we want to draft, honestly. I hope he has a good career. But overall, what that tells us, Paulson, is that you look around and this depth chart post-draft, and it's still Traylon Burks and Chig Conquo, and that's it. Yeah, and uh, you know, in the backfield, Derrick Henry is still there. Uh, I don't see if he's if he's healthy. I don't see his workload declining too much, maybe a little bit if they want to use this rookie. Hassan Askins um, is on the roster as well. Uh, he, 25 carries for 93 yards last year, so nothing special. Maybe that, that's what they were trying to address that backup role uh, with that pick. Um, and the, the, the passing game, it's, I mean, the receiver room, they drafted Colton Dowell at some point. Um, but you know, Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, Kine, uh, Kyle Phillips, who did have some buzz in training camp last year, never got it going. Racy McMath, Chris Moore, um, Reggie Roberson. I mean, this is rough. So Burke should see a lot. Okonkwo should see a lot. Uh, you, you gotta like them at their respective positions as volume, uh, target hogs. We do wonder though, is this, are they going to throw the ball anymore or is this just going to be the same old Titans offense where it's all centered around Derrick Henry, even after an off season where there've been, you know, rumors that they might trade them. It just hasn't come to fruition. And it's the same thing for the Patriots. Like we talk about the receivers, but it's still Mac Jones. So really how much does it matter for the Titans? What is happening with Ryan Tannehill, given that he has the league's largest cap hit under center this year, which is crazy to think about, but literally that's what it is. We know, well, we don't know, but reportedly that, I've heard some little birdies that Tannehill was in trade packages to the Cardinals, but it was for CJ Stroud. So it didn't matter in the end. And the Titans backed out when Stroud went to number two overall. So this team knows Tannehill may be a bridge, but he's not the option. That's the whole point of trading up for Will Levis. So if it is Levis now throwing to these guys, you then have to ask as well, how much does that matter? But at least we know to your point, Oconquo led all tight ends in yards per outrun last year. And that was as a part-time player. Now we move Austin Hooper away. We have basically negligent receiver competition. 
and Okonkwo being a full-time player, that's where I get excited. Even Burks, I'm debating on, but Okonkwo, I can get there easily as a tight end one. Easily. Yeah, and you're just looking at Okonkwo for sure because of the position. So you just look at this depth chart and it's just like Burks and Okonkwo and Henry. Don't look at the depth it. chart, actually. Don't don't it's, do that if you're listening at home. It's it's gross, but you know, they got one guy at each position. You know, Henry, Burks, and Okonkwo, they're gonna see the vast majority of touches tar- targets at uh, this year. It's it's rough. That is 40 minutes on every conference for everyone. I think that's pretty good given all that happened in one show. Paulson, what do you have on the site for everyone post draft? Uh, 18 uh, impact r- uh, rookies drafted outside the first round of the 2023 draft. Uh, some of these, I, I put great uh, opportunity grades for everybody. Uh, if you want to see what I think, it's some of them are better than others. Um, for example, Jaden Reed's got an A. Uh, and then I also have nine, uh, nine impact rookies from the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, and now I'm retreating for the next week or two to get these uh, 2023 projections up. So we have uh, stuff we could talk about for the next uh, few months. We have player profiles for free on the site. We have best ball content coming up, including for myself on the site. But for the time being, if you're still trying to relax and take in and understand what happened over the weekend, my mock grades are there, as well as my individual player profiles, round one, two, and three, that you can see for fantasy purposes amongst all the work there. Also, if you want to see what the nation's most accurate mock draft looks like, that's available on the site free too. So, Paulson, until then... Next week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you then, and remember, be a little bit kind of the woodsman.